This episode is brought to you by BunnySlippers.com. Keep your feet warm while you shuffle around your house this May and, you know, maybe June, July, I don't know. I'm hoping to be out and about by the HP Lovecraft Film Festival where I'm going to throw a pair of these woolly bull slippers, these Highland Cow slippers out into the audience and uh, at at some panel that I'm probably going to be at with Scott Glancy or Ken Hyde or I don't know, maybe even David Heath if he'll ever let me on uh, uh, on one of his panels. All right, speaking of David Heath, why not listen to one of the many podcasts I produce for him, such as Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans and, I don't know, Dave's, Dave's, uh, part of the, I don't know, Dave's, yeah, we've got Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans and supplemental stuff that Dave does for this show and the other show that I do, Black Clock Audio Tales. So, speaking of Dave, Dave's on this episode, along with Ken Height, and new to the show, Huge fan, Dan Harms, the author of, um, <laughs> I always mess the name up, uh, the Cthulhu Encyclopedia, or Encyclopedia of the Cthulhu Mythos. Encyclopedia Cthuliana was what the first two, anyways, we talk about it later on. So, I hope you're all doing well. I'm, I'm holding myself together. I decided that I love guitars. I'd never done that before. I never was a guitar person. I never cared about guitars. Oh, no, no. Let me, let me, let me specify. I'm not a guitar guy now. I'm a slide guitar guy. Hold on. Listen to this. Ah, I'm kidding. I'm not going to mess around and, like, waste your time with guitars. You'd go and listen to a guitar podcast. I'm not Mark Marin. I'm not even Magic Marker. All right. So... Black Clock Audio Tales just finished up Wizard of Oz uh, doing our month of bomb because it was uh, his birthday a long time back and I can't remember what next month is. We'll figure it out. It'll be a surprise for you and me. Alright. So, if you want to help support the show, best way to do that is to go out there and wherever you're getting the show, rate you subscribe tell your friends about it share it on facebook even if you're like hey help this loser out so he can feed himself all right on with the show hey everyone welcome back to people's guide to the cthulhu mythos we've got ken height with us and we're going to be talking about a place in france not where the naked ladies dance oh maybe i don't know they absolutely do they absolutely do and we've got ken height absolutely do ken height talking to us and what's this place that we're talking about in France? Um, I pronounce it uh, Averroin okay. because I am a clod. Sure. Uh, and so that people recognize what I mean, uh, I am told that, uh, or rather I'm, I've am i read, that uh, Clark Ashton Smith pronounced it Averwan. Um, and uh, uh, in uh, Steve Barron's book on Clark Ashton Smith, uh, he uh, gives the pronunciation Averone. Okay. So... I, I, I think you're spoiled for choice. It's just like Cthulhu. There's a million ways to say it, or Nyarlathotep, right? And you're, and and, so, and you're going to irritate someone. <laughs> someone's going to be sending you an angry email. But uh, we can call it Averwan, 
uh, for the purpose of this uh, show, if you want, or we can call it whatever you want. It's your show. How are hey, we pronouncing uh, Averon today? That that works for me. Works for me. That okay. works for me. Yeah. And then we can just say, well, that's how Clark Ashton Smith pronounced it, uh, because <laughs> uh, funny story. Uh, Clark Ashton Smith, uh, although he read French uh -huh. and he wrote French, he never heard it spoken. <laughs> so if uh, Clark Ashton Smith's pronunciation is a little off, well, there we go. That's what's going on. <laughs> so yeah, uh, so yeah, Averwan, um, probably my second favorite Smith setting. All right. Barely after Hyperborea, which we've talked about before. Sure. And I've talked about how much I love Hyperborea. Uh, but I, I very much love Averwan. And again, it's because of my timeless dictum, uh, start with Earth. Uh, if you're going to make something fantastic, mm -hmm. uh, magical, unbelievable, scary, horrifying, supernatural, paranormal, it has to contrast with something that feels real. What feels realer than Earth? Nothing. So that's, that's one of the reasons that I, I like... Uh, the Averwan stories so much is that they have that earthy connection, uh, in some cases literally earthy connection, uh, that uh, Poisonous, even though it's in Atlantis, doesn't really have uh, much, much less Zothique, which, although the stories I think are, are some of the most beautiful that he wrote, mm -hmm. the world, the universe of Zothique, it, it feels so wildly abstract and, and, and strange, uh, and that's a lot of its charm and, and its joy that I find it uh, harder to really sort of um, uh, respond other than uh, nodding happily, right? I, I feel like in the Averwan stories, uh, I get the contrast that he's going for. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and that, I think, makes them work really well for me. Plus, I'm a big fan of, of a lot of these stories. I think that, by and large, uh, the, the Averwan stories are uh, amazing and are, are well worth reading. And some of them are, I think, up there with some of the best things that he's ever done. Yeah, I, I personally haven't, I don't have access to them currently, <laughs> and I don't know what, uh, like, where... Everyone has access to them. They're on the internet. The The lovely people at eldritchdark.com have every single Clark Ashton Smith story uh, on the, online, and they do it, apparently, with the permission of the Smith estate. Oh, I so you don't that. even have to have that weird little Canadian Gutenberg problem. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, where you're, you know, oh, no, it's legal in Canada. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, but no, this is, uh, Eldritch Dark is apparently done with the cooperation of the Smith estate. Um, and uh, it's everything. It's, it's not just all the stories. Uh, a lot of the stories um, were, uh, were edited mm -hmm. uh, by Smith after, um, uh, after Farnsworth Wright rejected them for being too dirty. Okay. Um, and so we have the original versions and the edited versions um, uh, on Eldritch Dark. Uh, it's it's a it's a really good uh, web resource. And the only downside is you're reading on the internet, not on you know a book. But uh, there's also an I don't know. Uh, it's pretty new. There's a collection called the Averroin Archives, or I just said Averroin, the Averwan Archives, uh, uh, from Pickman's Press, and it has all of Smith's Averwan. Uh, material in it and so there's a, a lot of good stuff in there and uh and so it, it's easily gotten for your kindle and uh back uh, once books are available again you could probably order it in book form uh but uh, all the stories are also on the eldritch dark so you don't even have to spend the five bucks or whatever it is on kindle oh cool so if i not if 
So when I get started, what do I start with? And what's the setting? What's the tone of this? All right. Uh, Averwan is a province in France. Okay. And it, it is, uh, the stories are set from, say, the 13th century or uh, 12th century all the way up to 1789. Okay. Uh, the last story in the historical sequence is, because we're dealing with that wily devil Clark Ashton Smith, mm -hmm. the first story he ever wrote set in Averwan, and it's called The End of the Story. And uh, that's the story that sort of sets it off. He writes it in 1930, uh, and uh, then he writes a bunch of uh, Averwan stories uh, in the 30s, and then a, a very few of them uh, in the latter part of his career after he mostly had stopped writing fiction. Right. Um, the best one, in my opinion, is uh, if you can find the originally uh, the original version of the Beast of Averwan. Um, there is a version that uh, Scott Connors, the great Smith scholar, mm -hmm. who you and I both know and, and love, um, uh, did where he took the original draft and he put the superior second ending on it because when uh, Smith redrafted it, because Farnsworth Wright said it was too long and too dirty, mm -hmm. um, uh, he came up with a better ending. <laughs> and so uh, Connors has a, a version that... Uh, that uh, uh, blends those out. And if you have, I think it is a Nightshade uh, collected, uh, Clark Ashton Smith, that, those five uniform editions, um, uh -huh. that version, or, or, the, or in the Pickman's Press version, that's the Scott Connors version that I, I talked about. That's the sort of uh, average of, of those two uh, versions of the story. But the Beast of Everwan is amazing. It's, it's very much a Lovecraftian story. It's just uh, in a place and involving people who, um, uh, who are sort of more recognizably human in that they have emotions and desires. Uh, and then uh, another really great one is the Holiness of Azedarak, which is uh, a sorcerer time travel story, and it is uh, terrific uh, and uh, also involves um, about as much sex as you could get into Weird Tales in 1933. Um, so it's uh it, it's very strong in that way and i like the sort of glorious over the top uh colossus of yalorn which is about a, a necromancer hmm. who is up to some necromancy and i don't really want to give away what the colossus is but <laughs> the story starts with all the corpses in the city of jim which is the biggest city in Averon, mm -hmm. uh crawling clawing their way out of the out of their uh, graves and walking uh, to the abandoned uh, 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 castle or monastery or abbey or whatever it is of Yalorn. And they're summoned there by the necromancer Nether, and he is up to badness. Hmm. And uh, it, it's, it's um, you could argue that it is one of the first kaiju stories. Okay. If you wanted to. And it's, uh, it's got a, 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 and all the, all, I mean, all of Smith, we've talked about this before, has that sort of lush, wonderful, uh, adjectives, description, descriptive qualities. Um, the, uh, the 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 landscape of Everwan is is lots of dark primeval forests because again the the province in France that it's sort of based on Auvergne uh, is a forested mountainous uh, province in the it's sort of south central France. Okay. And is full of uh, witches and magic ponds and and wildy woods and uh, and Smith knew 
knew very little about uh, Auvergne and cared less. And when uh, Lovecraft uh, wrote him a nitpicky letter about the holiness of a Zetarak, uh, uh, Smith sort of, I mean, he responded in good humor because they were really good friends. But he said, um, uh, if I had, it's something like, if I had thought that um, a, uh, a, a country that um, uh, I intended to be nothing more than a version of uh, Poitem, James Branch Cabell's imaginary French uh, land Poitem, uh, needed uh, that kind of historical treatment, I certainly should have asked you or something like that. And it's not quite mind your own stupid business, Howard, but it's it's very much like uh, don't don't distract me with your nonsense facts. Uh, I've got uh, 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 dirty magic stories to tell. And um, uh, 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 people um, uh, uh, people talk about uh, Smith's um, uh, uh, tendency to, to involve uh, sex in his stories even more, I think, than Robert E. Howard does. Howard is very much the sort of adolescent boys with a playboy uh, level, and Smith is, is at the very least writing as the jaded Rue, uh, not so much as um, uh, the, um, uh, the, 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 the goodness uh, lady parts uh, way that, <laughs> that, that Conan sometimes comes across. Um, and, uh, and so the, uh, the, the, the quality of, of, of those stories, and again, because it's set in a real countryside, I think that Smith is allowing his characters to have more human relationships and human emotions uh, uh, and, and let those drive the story uh, it, it becomes I don't want to say more satisfying because there's nothing more satisfying than a than a great hyperborean uh, rag but I think it, it, it has a sort of a, a an earthiness and a realness of dimension that a, a lot of them don't and because of that the fantastic elements I think work better and so the Colossus of Yalorn is legitimately a little more terrifying than it would be if it were just sort of a, a bald narrative. If, if Lovecraft had written it, um, yeah. and these uh, uh, reanimated creatures had, had stormed out to some remote uh, part of the Miskatonic, it just wouldn't feel as as uh, as as in the moment. And again, that's part of the distancing of of setting in sort of Renaissance France mm -hmm. is that uh, it feels real, but it doesn't it doesn't trip your oh that never happened trigger. In the way that um, uh, that it might if it had happened in you know Auburn, California in 1935, yeah. instead of in uh, Gime, France in in 1555 or whatever it is. Yeah, that oh, it's it's like once you start reading the titles or telling me the titles, I'm like, oh, I have read those. Yeah. those those are amazing stories. <laughs> And I think I did read them on uh, Dark... Oh, uh, EldridgeDark.com. EldridgeDark.com, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and those and, are great stories. Yeah, I mean, I'm... Uh, I, I mean, obviously, uh, some stories aren't as good as other stories. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not a giant fan of uh, of uh, The Seder, which I think is pretty obvious. A lot of people really love A Rendezvous in Averon, mm -hmm. and Clark Ashton Smith personally loved A Rendezvous in Averon. And I like it a great deal, but it's a vampire story. Yeah. And it's not like I don't love vampire stories, but I feel like if you're Clark Ashton Smith writing for Weird Tales in 1931, after nine years of being friends with H.P. Lovecraft, maybe you owe us a little more than a vampire story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And in and in many cases, you get more than a vampire story. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, uh and and there and there's fun things in it. I mean, I don't know whether or not uh, I am not Scott Connors. I don't know whether or not Smith had ever read M.R. James, but uh, the disinterment of Venus reads to me like someone had read a bunch of M.R. James and said, these are the least sexy things ever written. <laughs> what does sexy M.R. James look like? <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> right. And then again, of course, he has to publish it in Weird Tales, so it's not that sexy, yeah, yeah. but it's a lot sexier than you know most things in Weird Tales. Farnsworth is uh, sand off those sexy parts. Yeah, hey, 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 back up, back off, Clark. Um, uh, and, and so there's um, there's some good stuff uh, going on uh, in in even the even the the least ones the ones like Disinterment of Venus which is mm-hmm. like I say kind of a, a one note joke but I think it, it works really well in a lot of ways um, and it uh, and and it again it's literally about digging up a Roman statue in the garden of the monastery mm-hmm. at uh, I think it's Paragon in um, in Averon mm-hmm. and so. It's got that lived archaeological historical reality that it wouldn't have if it were just in, uh, you know, Zikarf or Posidonis or even Hyperborea. Yeah. I wonder if you put the Roman stuff in there to, like, appease Lovecraft. Be like, fine, yeah, I don't have these facts right. Here's some Romans. Here's some Romans. Don't leave me alone. <laughs> Lovecraft, in his letters to, to Smith, kept making up uh, everyone fanfic. <laughs> And he was like, well, as you know, uh, um, uh, Aish, uh, Alias Fluvius uh, mentions the Averones, uh, the, 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 the dark tribe that came from a sunken land in the West. And you could just imagine Clark Ashton Smith, first of all, enjoying them, because who wouldn't enjoy H.P. Lovecraft writing you fanfic about your own universe? Uh-huh. But also, he never mentions any of these things in the stories. <laughs> they, they just go right into the file, the good stuff from Howard file. And then they stay remarkably out of the out of the stories. It's the same way that the Book of Ibon, in the Hyperborean stuff, it's a book. It's written by Ibon. We're done. And Lovecraft is like, no, wait, it has to have a Roman name, and we have to do other things and make new stuff up. And uh, and, and Lovecraft, I think, takes um, uh, uh, the character Gaspard Nord out of um, uh, the Colossus of Yalorn and, and turns him into the author of the. Uh, Latin or the translator of the of the of the of the uh, Livre de Ivan, mm-hmm. um, uh, the the translator from the from the Latin, and it's just it's just so great to see Lovecraft fanboying uh, somebody, and, and, and the letters uh, between them about Averwan are are very much part of that. And Lovecraft, you can tell, is just so excited to get to actually uh, do three and a half pages on you know uh, the Druids. Uh, to 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 tell uh, Clark Ashton Smith about his setting, um, it, it's 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 great fun. I if you if you've got a copy or or can get a copy of um, the collected correspondence of Lovecraft and Smith, uh, Downward Spire, Lonely Hill, I think it's called, hmm. uh, from Hippocampus. I mean, it, it obviously the whole book repays reading, but yeah. but those bits with Lovecraft fanboying uh, uh, Smith about everyone are just delightful. They're they're literally like everyone else who ever wrote to Lovecraft. It's it's like reading Robert Block fanboying Lovecraft almost <laughs> to read him fanboying Smith, um, and it's 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 so great and so uh, wholesome is maybe not the word you want to use, but it's it it it's 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 very terrific. Hmm. 
Wow. Yeah. Huh. So yeah, there's lots of uh, you know uh, one step removed Averwan uh, uh, mythos information. It's just that uh, <laughs> Lovecraft uh, kept it all in the letters, and uh, Smith mostly didn't put it into uh, the, the the fiction, or he didn't put Lovecraft's ideas in. He yeah. he came up with um, I think the Roman version of Sathakwa. Sadakwa, mm -hmm. I think that might have been a Lovecraft uh, creation that that Smith then used in um, Averwan, um, and uh, and of course, and I believe it's the Holiness of Azetarach, uh the Satanist uh, uh, bishop Azetarach, um does worship uh, the Cthulhu Mythos gods as well as Satan, um, and so he mentions them, and they have sort of cool Averwan versions of their names, not. Um, uh, Lovecrafty versions, but uh, so it, everyone is part of the mythos. If we're if we are still keeping track of that, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay. Because I know I've read somewhere that, and it may be a game book. I don't know it, that the people of everyone are actually descendants of Atlantis of Clark Ashton Smith's Atlantis. And... Yeah, I mean, again, that's that's that Lovecraft fan fanfic. Okay, uh, where he talks about. <laughs> The, the Averones, who were the um, his version of the Celtic tribe that, uh, for example, Auvergne mm -hmm. was the land of the Arverni, mm -hmm. right, in, in history. And that's where the name Auvergne comes from, is the Arverni. And so Averon would have come from the Averones, and that would have been, you know, where that comes from. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Wow, that's... Did, did anyone else pick up this and run with it like people have with other aspects of Clark Ashton Smith. I mean, there's uh, there's a... Is the word sequel what I want? <laughs> um, there's another collection uh, in that same edition. I, t I talked about the Pikmin Press, mm -hmm. Averon, Averon Archives. There's another one that's called... Um, oh, what is it called? Give me two seconds. Uh, there, there's a book uh, from the same Pickman's Press called The Averwan Legacy, mm -hmm. which is a tribute tales in the world of Clark Ashton Smith. And it has a bunch of uh, people uh, writing uh, uh, Averwan stuff. Um, it doesn't have uh, Lovecraft's story out of the eons, okay. uh, because that story takes place in Mew. But it mentions Averwan. It's the one place in the Lovecraft Greater Ovra that he mentions Averwan. Mm -hmm. um, but it does have a bunch of other stories. There's a guy named uh, Ron Hilger, who is a sort of a, a big uh, Smithian, and he uh, finished a couple of uh, Clark Ashton Smith. Uh, uh, very he derleft Clark okay. Ashton Smith. And <laughs> I was waiting for I have that. Not, I have not read the stories, <laughs> so I don't know if they are good or bad, uh, to what degree he derleft them. But he derleft Smith uh, by posthumously collaborating with him on stories that Smith sort of started or wrote syn synopses of in his uh, sort of notes and then never did anything with. So there's a story called The Doom of a Zetarak that tells you how a Zetarak dies, which <laughs> is not known in the original story. And um, uh, Brian McNaughton, I don't know if you know him, he's uh, he's written a bunch of sort of ghoul and uh, I think he wrote some Sandweller stuff, uh, New Mexico monstery uh, stories. Um, okay. Maybe not New Mexico, maybe I'm thinking of Adam Niskanen. But Brian McNaughton did do ghouls, I know that. And he did a, um, a, a Return of the Colossus, which is a sequel to the Colossus of Yalorn set in World War One. 
So imagine how much fun that's going to be. Oh, gee. Uh, so, yeah, a bunch of people have sort of um, gone after the, the the Smith stories, but, of course, Averwan uh, is not yet in public domain. Um, uh, uh, the first one of them was published in 1930. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Clark Ashton Smith died um, uh, considerably after 1937. Uh, uh, yeah. And so uh, the... Uh, yeah, he died in 1961. So his stuff is still under copyright. So mm -hmm. it's harder, I think, uh, to just be allowed to write a bunch of Averwan stories because that's not your property. Yeah. Um, the, and when the guy who edited the the, the second Averwan book that I talked about uh, was putting together his his story collection, he basically got most of the stories uh, either by direct uh, commission. Mm -hmm. Some of them appeared in, like, Crypt of Cthulhu or places like that. Um, and uh, he got a couple off fanfic uh, websites, huh. <laughs> apparently, that people had written their Everwan fanfic and, and snuck it in there. And he dug it in. Uh, goodness knows uh, you wouldn't want to uh, wish that on anybody. Yeah. But uh, but but he did. And uh, he, he dug out a couple of good ones. Um, there's a, a guy named Simon Whitechapel who is... Uh, as you might Im imply from his name, a a uh, fellow who I uh, 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 ran into in sort of the fringes of of wild conspiracy thought, uh, but he apparently is also a Clark Ashton Smith fan, and he wrote a couple of those. So, um, so there's been sort of a trickle of Averwan stories, but the fact that uh, Lovecraft is a much bigger deal than Clark Ashton Smith uh, anyway, and the fact that Smith is not public domain, I think is sort of kept the Averwan uh, continuations to a, I don't want to say a minimum, but but down to a dull roar, and most of them are in that uh, are in that anthology that I talked about. All right, huh? So you were mentioning uh, derleting it up, and it made me think of it's like, well, you can derleth something, and then there's another level you can. Uh, Lynn Carter something. <laughs> yeah, right. And I'm pretty sure that Lynn Carter has, has Lynn Cartered Averwan with all of his stuff about the Book of Ibon. Oh, sure, yes. Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, and I have not read that, that second anthology, so I have no idea how many of them are good mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. versus uh, just need to be owned. Uh, but I anticipate none of them are remotely as good as Clark Ashton Smith because no one writes as well as Clark Ashton Smith. Sure. Yeah. Now or, or then. <laughs> um, I should also mention, I guess, when we're talking about weird Averwan mythos stuff, there was a um, uh, a Dungeons and Dragons module uh -huh. uh, done by Tom Moldvay in 1981 called Castle Amber, uh, <gasps> which uh, was set in Averwan. Yeah. And was it legally set in Averwan? <laughs> Who can say? Uh I'm not sure. Um, they do keep reprinting it every now and again, so I'm assuming that they feel like it was legal to do it, but uh, I don't know that um, uh, that uh, it would it would stand up to a full uh, IP examination now. Yeah. But if you can dig out your copy of Castle Amber uh, or buy it on, from Noble Knight or off eBay or whatever, that that's the that's your Dungeons and Dragons thing of Averwan. Oh, cool. Um, and of course, uh, in the old magazine Worlds of Cthulhu that came out about 
what was it, 15 years ago by now, early 2000s, um, Dan Harms, legendary Mythos scholar, yeah. uh, and Adam Crossingham, I think, uh, put together a bunch of Averwan material for use with Cthulhu Dark Ages. Oh, cool. So if you feel like you desperately want to roleplay an Averwan uh-huh. and desperately don't want to do any of your own research <laughs> or scenario ma- or, um, uh, or monster making up, uh, dig out Worlds of Cthulhu. Uh, I don't know whether back issues still exist, but you can probably murder someone and take theirs. Um, and then, you know, they'll wander off to your lawn and leave you alone. Uh, and, and that will and that will be a, a pretty uh, a thick and wonderful uh, uh, Averwan backdrop uh, for you. And then uh, Harms and Crossingham did use some of the Averwan mythos uh, later fanfic stuff uh, in their uh, adaptation. So you have you have a, a, a bigger uh, pie than just the uh, eight or nine Smith stories. Huh. Very cool. Yeah, I was going to ask you if anyone's tried to tackle it for uh, for role-playing games. Because there's like only like a, a second edition Ravenloft uh, creature that uh, reminds me of a very specific story mm-hmm. <laughs> and of a, 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 a giant golem of sorts. Uh, but, a you colossus, know. if you will. <laughs> yes, a colossus, if you will. Uh but yeah, no, no, I was I was trying to think of well, have have I seen it? And yeah, I, I I'm not familiar with that uh, Cthulhu Dark Ages uh, product. But I'll be honest, I'm not very familiar with Cthulhu Dark Ages. It wasn't something I really sank my money into. Didn't didn't uh, jam it. I mean, I I saw it and I liked it. I yeah. liked the way that they attempted to sort of reinterpret the mythos through a medieval lens and say, you know, for example. Uh, the star spawn are dragons. Yeah, yeah. And it's like the the thing is dragon, and the, here's what the, the write up is a star spawn, and I thought that was very cool. Mm-hmm. The way that they attempted to uh, not present it as uh, sort of this outside Lovecraftian scholar, but for at least looking uh, with attempts at you know a medieval mindset. I mean, sure. people can argue back and forth about how well they did, but I I give them a great deal of credit for making the attempt, and it's it's good fun. I mean. I, uh, the basic role-playing engine started out to tell grotty stories of getting stabbed. Uh, so <laughs> having it come back to Cthulhu Dark Ages is, is very much old home week. Oh, yeah. uh, so, I mean, yeah, if, if you if you have Cthulhu Dark Ages or feel like you can uh, uh, cobble it together in your head, um, it, hunting down Harms and Crossingham's Averon material is, is worthwhile from a nice. gaming perspective. I have all of my old copies of Worlds of Cthulhu piled in the game closet somewhere, so <laughs> I'm good. Uh, but uh, Maybe you but shouldn't I... tell us that when you also suggest that people find someone who has it and murder them, Ken. <laughs> well, you know, if you can if you can uh, get in line, take a number, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's your turn to talk. <laughs> oh, it's like, oh no, I think I lost Ken. Uh, yeah, no, um... There's not a huge amount of material out there, but if you like it, there's enough stuff out there to tide you over until you find something similar or make your own, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And again, uh, one of the nice things about it is that there is this sort of quasi-official uh, penumbra, mm-hmm. so you can feel like you're a, a, a medieval scholar piecing together bits of the legend. I mean, you've got uh, Smith's sort of notes and outlines You've got Lovecraft's fan uh, fan letters. You've got things that feel, uh, for lack of a better term, more real 
or more authentically Averwanian mm-hmm. than just uh, people derlething uh, the stuff, which is all well and good. And again, I I love uh, people derlething things. I'm a I'm a uh, my bookshelves are a tribute to my uh, to my lack of judgment in that area. But um, but the but the Averwan stories to me because they have that grounding in, in actual France, because they are, uh, in a way, trying to reach back to the sort of um, Grimm's fairy tales, tales of Hoffman sensibility, <laughs> I think that they add a flavor to the mythos that is different even from Smith's other flavors. Nice. Right? I mean, Lovecraft is, is very, very concerned about forests. Yeah. Um, you, we all know that from, you know, the west of Arkham, the, the, the hills ride wild and... Uh, there are trees that no axe has ever cut. Uh, we know that he's got a big forest issue, but the forests of Averwan are so much the dark woods from Grimm, the, the, and uh, that sort of fairy tale quality that, uh, which is almost a, a misuse of the word fairy tale, but that that uh, that quality of that sort of dark, genuine peasant fear. Uh, that underlays even the the, the, the sort of sprightly, happy-go-lucky Smith stories, uh, or the Smith voice. The stories are not necessarily happy-go-lucky. Um, uh, I, I think that the, uh, the 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 qualities of those are are, are different uh, enough that even if you're not um, a, a gigantic Smith fan, for whatever reason, uh, there there may be worth uh, digging into one or two of them and seeing if if they might be more down your river um they, they have a they have a quality that that nothing else does nothing else in the mythos and nothing else even in smith and i'm and i'm very very fond of it and it's only literally because the hyperborea stories are told with such sort of manic uh invention and delight that i put them above everyone and i think if you were you know trying to look at them in, from a literary perspective god forbid uh, you might even say that some of the Averwan stories, because they are about legitimate human emotions, mm-hmm. uh, are, um, are are better in that sense. Uh, mm. But I, I, I just, um, yeah, I, it's a, it's a it's a perfectly sized nugget of 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 mythos sausage, I guess. You know, you you can you you can have a, you can make a full meal out of it. Oh yeah. Yeah, and you know, link it all together with some out of aeons, and uh, have mm-hmm. yourself a weird fiction, weird fiction smorg, smorg, uh, weird buffet. fiction cassoulet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely. Right. Yeah. All right, Ken. Well, thank you so much. Hey, do you have any uh, any projects going on right now, or any uh, anything you need to plug or let people know that you've got going on Kickstarters or anything like that? Well, on the topic of Lovecraft and the woods and uh, the uh, value of things physically located on Earth, I guess this is where I should plug uh, Tour to Lovecraft, The Destination is my second Tour to Lovecraft book. Nice. Uh, there's a link somewhere on your site yeah. that uh, goes to the page that lets you get in on the Kickstarter early. By the time you hear this, we, we may have the backer kit open, so the link will probably send people to the backer kit. And if you're hearing this after even that's been done it'll send you to buy the pdf nice because we are literally uh one map away from being done with that book right oh, now cool. so i'm very excited uh to to have that out in people's hands and and get some get some feedback and some response and have the poor kickstarter people who've been waiting so patiently and good uh to get their reward and, and make them feel happy 
Nice. Very nice. Well, Ken, thank you again so much, and we'll have you on sometime soon, I'm sure, to talk about the Cthulhu Mythos and its timeline within Earth's history from the Big Bang to the death of our sun and all that kind of fun stuff. All that good stuff. Yeah. All right, Ken, well, have a good one and stay safe. You too, man. Will do. Thanks a lot. Thanks again to Ken Hyde, and thank you for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. I'm your host, D.B. Spitzer, asking you once again, please find it in your heart to go to iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere that you listen to podcasts, anywhere that you get your podcasts from, rate, review, subscribe, tell people about it, share it with your friends. I don't know, maybe you'd be like, hey, you know that Cthulhu Mythos stuff that I'm talking about? Here's a great way to get into it. Uh, there's some people who talk about the Cthulhu Mythos really well. And then there's this jackass who uh, wastes the first three minutes and then lets other people talk. All right. Back to the show. Oh, hey. Hey, hey, hey. Speaking of people who talk about stuff, we've got Dan Harms, uh, writer and creator of the Cthulhu Mythos Encyclopedia, uh, available on Elder Sign Press, uh, electronic and... Um, what do you call it? Like, um... Hey everyone, welcome back to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. We are here today with Dan Harms, author of the... I, I keep wanting to say uh, <laughs> Encyclopedia Cthuliana, which I think was second edition, but what's what's the title of it now? That's the first and second editions. The third edition is the Cthulhu Mythos Encyclopedia. All right. Still an amazing book. Available from Elder Signs Press. Yeah, yeah. I highly recommend yeah. it. I have it. I have a physical copy and a digital copy that I had, just have on my phone because you never know when you need to go, well, okay, um, what? Who who were Azathoth's kids again? Let me let me look up. Okay, uh, Azathoth was a great... Okay, cool. <laughs> I have to check on it myself sometimes. It's just yeah. like, okay, well, what did I say? I better double check this. Yeah, no, no. It's it's a great resource for people like me and Ken Height who constantly get asked uh, Cthulhu Mythos questions like, well, let's see what Dan Harms says. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, today we're going to be talking about a fictional region of France created by Clark Ashton Smith. And uh, how did you pronounce it? And that's how we're going to pronounce it. Averon. Averon. Okay, I think that's how Ken yes. pronounced it the other day, too. So we are good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, what can you tell us about this? You, you from, from what I understand, you've done a sizable, sizable amount of research for, of uh, Averon for uh, your book and also, I, I believe, some... Uh, um, I guess uh, supplements for Call of Cthulhu or some other. There RPG? were some. There were some articles back in the day, like when Worlds of Cthulhu was still a you okay. know a going concern. Uh -huh. I had a series of articles in there with a couple other people uh, dealing with Averwan and trying to basically um, bring it into Cthulhu Dark Ages. Gotcha. Um, so uh, so I spent a lot of time there. Um, I have had a couple of games set in Avalon over the years, and then, of course, I ran X2, which is Castle Amber for D&D for a group a, couple, a few years ago, it seems. But so, uh, yeah, I've spent a lot of time in Avalon. Nice. Uh, what, what, what can you tell pretty much, like, if someone's 
coming brand new to Avalon, what can you tell them about it? What would you, what would you recommend? What would you, uh, how would, how, what, what directions would you push them? Uh, well, Avalon is a, it's interesting because it's, uh, it's medieval. It's, I'd say high medieval France, mm -hmm. but it's also a high medieval France with a lot of supernatural activity and also one that has a very, it's, it's very gothic in feel, not only just in terms of trappings, but in terms of uh, the role that emotion uh, plays, the, the, that, you know, this overwhelming tide of emotion that spills out over the world. Mm -hmm. uh, people um, feel love or hate, and it just kind of, uh, it's uh, it pushes them in these you know bizarre directions, and it also can have supernatural effects on the world. And um, it's also one where it uh, there is a it's kind of balances out that you know that whole idea medieval idea of sexuality being controlled versus sexuality being free. But at the same time, there's a danger associated with sexuality, and so it all kind of uh, it. it, it all these different tropes start playing into each other through Clark Ashton Smith's work, and it makes something that's a you know often a fun place to visit. Um, whether you're you know reading some of his stories or if you're playing a game there or you know doing some other sort of imaginative exploration. Cool. What do you think inspired uh, Clark Ashton Smith to write of this this region and? Uh, with this kind of like supernatural, sexual kind of energy. Um, now this is going to be off the top of my head, so it could okay, be wrong. Sure. Okay, but um, I believe that uh, one of the major factors was Lovecraft. Okay, and uh, because Lovecraft was the one who encouraged Clark Ashton Smith to uh, um, start writing stories to begin with, and you know to to expand into into that field from from poetry. And he also, uh, I think he did encourage him. I was reading the uh, letters between uh, Lovecraft and Smith a little while ago, and I think Lovecraft was the one who, sa who said, um, well, I kind of like this story set in medieval France. You should write more of these. He did that for some other settings too, but um, I think that was kind of the what got the ball rolling in terms of just uh, uh, Clark Ashton Smith's output for and uh, the time he spent in this area. And it also probably was um, uh, it... I think it kind of, it's a good sort of setting, once again, dealing with that whole idea of sexuality, with, um, you know, the sort of um, concerns that Clark Ashton Smith himself was uh, found to be, um, you know, crucial about, you know, the, the importance of love and and uh, the overwhelming you know, power of death, and yet how those two, you know, and putting those two tropes against each other. And you can do that really well in the setting, which uh, where you have... Um, uh, very licentious behavior, but at the same time, the, a society which says, you know, we need to be uh, basically prim and proper, and we'll send the Inqui Inquisition after you if we're not. Mm -hmm. Okay, all right. Uh, what what books do you or uh, not books? What what stories do you think really kind of build up this uh, whole kind of, I guess little literary uh, <laughs> uh, the <laughs> I guess the little circle of this little kind of like chunk of of uh, weird fiction set in uh, medieval France well it's uh, all the stories have something bring something different to the table so mm -hmm. it's hard for me to recommend 
um, one, but probably the end of the story, which is the very first one, I think is uh, probably um, that that one's quite notable, uh, dealing with the myth of the Lamaya, um, this the supernatural female being who break who like lures men to their doom, and yet kind of putting a little bit of a different spin on that. Um, and, and that's uh, what kind of the most. I think that one is 18th century. Uh, so that one's one of the more recent in terms of like his chronology mm -hmm. uh, of the stories. They're, they're scattered off all across probably, you know, several hundred years. But that's that's that was the first one he wrote, but also the, the most recent in terms of time. Huh. I also let's see. Um, the Holiness of a Zadarak is um, a personal favorite of mine because it's uh, just this crazy bizarre tale about uh love and time travel and uh, deceit on different levels and it's got a um uh it's got a uh, bishop who's um swearing to sadogwai and you know all the old ones and things like that mm -hmm. which is at the very beginning which is kind of funny um uh and of course i have to talk about uh, the colossus of the Lord, and please, if you if we're mispronouncing these, let us know. Um, I grew up in Kentucky, so I kind of put my French pronunciation together in some interesting ways. But the Colossus <laughs> is about this. Uh, uh, well, it's um, about a magician's desire to transcend death, okay. and um, also exact vengeance on his enemies. And to do that, he goes. You know, you think about Frankenstein's monster. He goes beyond this. He creates this. You know, he grabs all these corpses and puts them together into one body. And then he just strides across the landscape and, uh, just attacks people. And, uh, at the same time, and then you've just got like this little monk who's, uh, actually Gaspar du Nord, the guy who, uh, translated the book of Iben. Yeah. is just <laughs> running around the countryside, trying to figure out some way to stop him. Uh, so, uh, so that one is also, that one's also a lot of fun. Nice. I mean, all of them have something to them, uh, but um, those are the those are the three that I, I look at. I'm like, yeah, I would have somebody read these definitely. Yeah, those seem to be the popular three. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> the most, the, the most with the most, uh, oh, the ones with the most depth to them, and not just kind mm -hmm. of like the little kind of like little bits of Clark Ashton Smith or like, here's this thing I did. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh -huh. I mean, the others are more like fables in a way, yeah. in a lot of cases. And I, I, it's not that I'm opposed to that. But mm -hmm. It's just, you know, it's it's it, they're, they're you know they're nice little bite-sized pieces that you sit down and they're they're very like sort of tightly drawn and uh, about you know particular people in particular situations and the supernatural, um, uh, say things they encounter and how their you know how their emotions and their feelings and you know and their viewpoint on the world sort of changes the situation that they're in. Hmm. How do you gamify that? How do you, how do you translate that oh. into Call of Cthulhu oh. Dark Ages? <laughs> okay, so, um, all right. The first difficulty is that um, you start to realize that um, it, it was, it took me a while to do this, okay. and I don't think it, some people would not, uh, would not do it this way, definitely. Sure. So I kind of took that whole span of several hundred years, and I said, okay, I've got to find a time during this when I can uh, really 
sort of work with this because it's a uh, because you want to, I want to be able to pull in some of the you know medieval France as as a setting and be able to you know start bringing in elements of that. But it was difficult because um, of course Clark Ashton Smith's uh, Averwan is really medieval France kind of viewed through a gothic lens by a 20th century guy living in California. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, it's it doesn't quite fit in a lot of ways. And if you are, I mean, it's not, these are not stories to read if you are uh, a history buff and it's really going to matter to you, yeah. you know, what, you know, what, what exactly people were eating or wearing at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, but so I just kind of said, okay, so first of all, we're going to take um, Dark Ages is set around the year 1000. Move it forward a little bit to the year 1275, which is right before the Colossus, probably about, I think, six years or something before the Colossus. Oh. And uh, then, okay, so, um, and then I started uh, looking into what that would take to basically bring things in, uh, into that from, from Dark Ages. So came up with some more professions, uh, occupations and call Cthulhu terms and that sort of thing. Um, I had the... Uh, I even had an occupation for a young woman who's lost in the woods because of her stupid boyfriend. <laughs> uh, essentially what it is, um, which is actually a common trope in these stories. Okay. Um, and uh, just uh, just trying to figure out, you know, because once you, you start, you put it in the setting and then you start looking for the little threads, you can also start throwing in some other interesting little bits. Like what if there were Templars? Nice. Sure, why aren't they? Templars and Everwan. Why not? Um, and uh, some of the other, um, you know, some of the uh, more conspiracy, I'd say, oriented literature about, you know, them and uh, so the wandering scholars of the time and things like that. So, I, you know, just being able to start pulling those in and mesh it with Clark Ash and Smith in interesting ways. Uh, but uh, yeah, that, that I was quite happy with how that turned out. I wish we'd, we had been able to... Uh, secure electronic rights so everyone could keep reading those yeah. uh, uh, particular um, articles. But oh, so it goes. Yeah, yeah. That's a shame. Who knows what the future holds? <laughs> <laughs> um, so what, what, what kind of bestiary does, does that have? For, uh... Well, you've got a lot of... Um... Let's see. You've you've got some uh, very sort of conventional beings. You've got satyrs. Mm -hmm. um, you've got. Uh, I'm just looking at the at the list here. You've got you've got vampires. Yeah. Uh, and, but you've also and you've got uh, you've got gargoyles. Uh, but you've also sort of got the, a few odder things like the beast of Averwan, which mm -hmm. comes down from outer space and is like this crazy thing with a really long neck that has a like glows red and um can take the form of or possess i i think it was a possession it can possess people and things like that and it's just uh so you've got that um you've got the mother of toads who is uh this toad-like being who could make him itself appear as a like as a human woman or maybe the other way around uh -huh, it's not uh -huh. we're not really sure about what's going on with that um, werewolves uh, are, you know, generally parts of the, uh, you know, of the. They, I think they turn up. They turn up in at least one story. I'm trying to remember if they turn up in another. But yeah, so you've got a, a bunch of the, your traditional sort of supernatural things. But you could also, it also sort of gives you the freedom to toss in, you know, just bizarre things that might be off on the edge of civilization, out in the woods where, you know, people are afraid to go. 
Um, because the, because the, that's where, you know, you kind of, you have the sort of rational town where um, everything is, well, I don't know, it's rational in medieval terms, let's say. And uh, where, you know, it, the church, the church reigns and uh, everybody has a, has a job and everyone's supposed to do, you know, so people are, you know, not supposed to be, uh, you know, going off and venturing or, you know, being, you know, displaying creativity. And then you have the woods beyond it, which, which is, you know, the place where Clark Anderson Smith really starts. That's where he starts using like color words. That was one thing I noticed when I was reading his stories. Like he's just, you start, you start moving outside the town and suddenly, you know, you start seeing colors. Hmm. Uh, and that's where you, you get the freedom, you get the creativity, you get love, you get all of these things. And yet it's, it's also really, really dangerous and really, really bizarre. And you have to be very careful. Huh. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, I don't know. What about... I, I keep wanting to call it, like, a bunch of different things because I've heard it uh, uh, called so many different things. But what about this region do you think people should know and these writings do you think that people should know that we haven't covered? Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, it's just a very compelling place to go, and it sort of sneaks up on you because, mm -hmm. as I said, uh, some of the stories are not overly impressive in and of themselves, but then you start weaving them together and you start seeing some of the threads between them and you start, and you start grasping the themes, and it's like, okay, there's, there's something going on here that's not just... Uh, it's not just, um, oh, we're going into the forest and we're going to kill a monster and everything, you know, and that, and then we're going to go back to town and be triumphant. There's, you know, there's, there's a very sort of, there's a great appeal to, to, to Averwan and, and its wild areas, but there's also, you know, that's that the danger, which makes, but the, of course it's the danger that really makes the stories, um, that's what makes the stories compelling, uh, so, uh, yeah, I think that um, uh, people should try out these Averwan stories. Um, I believe they were published recently in at least one book, but they're also on the web and they're scattered around here and there. Um, check them out and, uh, you know, see if, if the, you start to feel, uh, a, you know, a sort, sort of longing to, to visit this, this wild forest and, you know, encounter its curious denizens. <laughs> cool. Very cool. Yeah. Wow. Well, Dan, thank you so much. Oh, hey, um, before we leave, any projects you're working on or anything that you think people should know about that you're working on or things that you like out there? Okay, so my the main uh, mythos-related uh, book out there is still the Cthulhu Mythos Encyclopedia from okay. Elder Science Press. It is available in print and electronically, so oh, yeah. um, you can always get that. Um, I've also got a line of magical books, uh, the most notable of which is the Book of Oberon, which is an actual 16th century book of magic, because after you write a book about the Necronomicon, <laughs> what are you going to do next? Yeah, wow. So, uh, so now I'm actually trying to track down sort of real-life Necronomicons and things like that and publish them, and that's, that's a lot of fun. Very so. cool, very cool. Well, someone has to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you again so much, Dan, for being on the show. And we'll have to have you back on now that we've had you on. Uh, maybe uh, we'll do an episode about uh, toad gods or something. I mean, I... Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I got my, I've got multiple Sadagwa um, 
idols right behind me oh, right cool. now. Oh, cool. Yeah, I've, ju I've, I've got a Safagua print just right behind me. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, thank you so much, Dan, and we'll talk to you again in the future. Okay, sounds great. Hey, everybody. My name's David Heath, and I write a, a blog called Dave's Corner of the Universe. I also do a podcast called Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans. And today we're going to talk about Clark Ashton Smith. Now, most people that are familiar with Clark Ashton Smith basically learned about him through uh, Lovecraft, H.P. Uh, Lovecraft. In fact, in this holy trinity of, of weird pulp writers, there's the father, H.P. Lovecraft, the Messiah, Robert E. Howard, and then Clark Ashton Smith would basically be the Holy Ghost. He's invisible. We know he's out there. He's poetic. He sends the messages of the others in this beautiful word form, but we don't really know him. We don't know his form. If we're going to use a, another allegory, um, if the three, uh, Lovecraft, Smith, and Howard, were to play a modern game of D&D, H.P. Lovecraft would, of course, be the wizard. Robert E. Howard would be the barbarian or, or some sort of warrior from a barbarian tribe. But Smith, Smith would be the bard. And he wouldn't be this sort of... You know, stereotypical bard. Instead of a lute, he would have a, a lyre, and he would read dirty poems about the king to inspire, you know, his compatriots on to fight the dragon. And, and I love Smith's, you know, weird and pulp stories. You know, I love his stories, you know, that are set, you know, in the ancient past. But in his heart, and in his talent, the man was a poet. He's an incredible poet. Almost all, not all, but most of his poems are public domain. So you can go out and uh, read them or go on to YouTube and uh, listen to them. Uh, beautiful, incredible poems. Now, I'm not really planning on reading any to you, to you today. I'm going to talk about some of them how they are influential, but I'm not going to actually read the poems. I would I would go out and, like I said, uh, just type Clark Ashton Smith poems into YouTube or Google it, and, and um, there's just some beautiful poems there. So before he got involved in all this cosmic horror stuff, Smith was, at a very young age, a very well-received poet. His first volume of poems was the Star Treader and other poems. And it was very well received, especially in Europe. Now, poetry is how Smith is going to be introduced to Lovecraft. Lovecraft is going to be crazy about Smith's poetry. And through a mutual friend, uh, Lovecraft got his address, and, and he wrote Clark Ashton Smith basically this fawning fanboy letter in which Lovecraft 
just praises Smith and he says, you know, you're, you're such a better poet than I am. And Lovecraft was right. Absolutely, hands down, Clark Ashton Smith is much, much better poet than Lovecraft. Uh, in fact, to be honest, I'm not a really big fan of Lovecraft's poems with the exception of the, the fungi from Yugoth, which I think are, are actually some pretty good sonnets, but that's about it for Lovecraft as poetry. Before I started researching this, my thought was, you know, that Lovecraft and and Robert E. Howard and, and uh, all these other pulp writers, they got into poetry because Poe did. And, and definitely, I mean, Lovecraft obviously was influenced by Poe, uh, but up until the, the late 30s, mid 40s, poetry was, you know, the art of the people. It was everybody published poems, every author. You, you, if you wrote some sort of, of fiction, you, you're also gonna write poems. Poems would be run in the Sunday newspaper so that families would, when they get together and you know, they would have their Monday, you know, get around the fireplace and, and tell stories, they would recite or read poems. And, and this was not excluded in weird fiction. Uh, weird Tales published at least one poem from their first book, uh, first magazine published to their last. JAMA, uh, the Journal of the American Medical Association, it publishes in every issue a, a poem by either a patient or a doctor. It's not until the first half of the 20th century with the, the modernist movement where people like E. Cummings, uh, T.S. Eliot, and Ezra Pound start this concept that poetry is not supposed, is supposed to be so complex that not only can the average man not write it or average woman not write it, they can't understand it. For centuries before, you know, poetry was the, it was the common person's art form. And by 1950, we, we've got the modernist movement, but poetry also has competition it's never had before with music on the radio. And so, so the the common man's you know common woman's art goes from remembering and reciting poetry to you know singing along songs on the radio and, and karaoke and clark ashton smith he wasn't just a good poet he was a prodigy his mentor was george sterling and sterling rightfully so thought that smith you know, had the possibility of being the next best, or the next big thing. When Smith changed over from becoming primarily a poet, or, and becoming a pulp writer, and, and focusing his his poems that he did continue in the, the pulp setting, Sterling was livid. And he basically had a, a father-son relationship with Clark Ashton Smith, and it was ruined. You know, they would, they would end up fighting and never seeing each other. And Smith was adamant that once he got 
part of this world of pulp writers, this world of galactic horror or cosmic horror, he wasn't going to go back. He fell in love with it. Now, how stubborn could Clark Ashton Smith be? Well, the answer is very stubborn. Uh, he grew up raised in uh, Auburn, California, up in Northern California, and he basically lived his life until he got married in a house that had no electricity. And he was fine with that. Uh, but he did decide that, you know, he pro once he got married, he probably owed it to his wife to they move into a house that actually had electricity. And though he married much old, he was much older later in life, and he was much older than, than his, his wife, who already had a couple of children, um, really, that's something that he had that Lovecraft and Howard never had. Um, a happy relationship. Robert E. Howard's only real romantic relationship was with Novelin Price, and you know her doctor basically had to tell her, you know, this relationship is killing you. You need to get out of it. And Lovecraft, of course, was married to uh, Sonia Green, but you know that relationship fell apart. Uh, but he married uh, Carolyn Jones uh, Dorman, and. It was a quirky relationship, and, and she was younger, and like I said, she, she needed, felt she needed someone to, to uh, be a father to her sons. And uh, after Smith died, she did get married again, but everything I've seen is, you know, it was a quirky, but it workable. Very, they were very happy and content each other. And so, unlike, you know, Robert E. Howard or H.P. Lovecraft, when Clark Ashton Smith died, he wasn't alone. Now, during this time of his, his marriage, August Derleth was writing him all the time, begging him to write new stuff. And Smith didn't, he was happy, he was content, it was part of his past, you know, he, he took his stepsons to football games, and you know, like I said, he was older, kind of a quirky guy, but, Apparently, according to at least one of his stepsons who's still alive, he was a decent, tried to be a good stepfather to them, despite the age difference. And, and Clark Ashton Smith, he didn't dwell on the past, on who he was. So that's a little bit about Clark Ashton Smith. And, and I'm, I'm just scraping you know, the surface here. I really would suggest that you get to know him by, uh, there's an excellent documentary out now, there's also a, um, uh, you know, quite a few books about him, as well as, you know, get to know him that way, but also get to know him through his writing and poem. Uh, my name is David Heath, and uh, you can find me at Dave's Corner of the Universe or on David Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans. Thanks again to Dan Harms for coming on the show and talking about today's subject. Hey. I don't want to subject you to any more commercials, but remember, 
Help out the show. Rate, review, subscribe. Go to pgttcm.com. Check out our t-shirts. Check out how to become part of our patron program. Check out all of the different shows. We've got, got Articulate Warbling with Zach and Laura. They were doing that stuff. Find out what uh, some uh, British 20-something-year-olds think about media and books. Let's see, what else do we got? We got Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans in uh, Dave's Corner of the Podcast. And also, we've got Black Clock Audio Tales. Just covered the Oz books, as I said before. And uh, I can't remember what we're doing next month. But I'll tell you one thing we are doing next month. People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. What's the topic? I don't remember. I'll have to look it up, and you'll have to just look in the show notes, where you'll also find the link for Ken Heights book um in the show notes because i can't remember the title right now and dan harm's book also in the show notes and links to dave's stuff also in the show notes do you know what else is in the show notes my love for you my listeners hey if you have questions about the cthulhu mythos if there's something you want to do i mean we do have a timeline and stuff like that but i can answer questions based off my own knowledge heck i talk to the greatest minds dealing with the cthulhu mythos on a weekly basis, I think I can answer some questions. Alright, so send me your questions. Send them to the Facebook page for People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. DM me there. That's direct message. Don't just, like, throw it on the page. Uh, and if you want to ask questions for Black Clock Audio Tales, ask Black Clock Audio Tales. Zach handles his questions over at Articulate Warbling, or Laura does it now. I don't know who's doing it. Um that's pretty much that for that and of course don't forget about that and that is the t-shirts that i'm talking about we've got some t-shirts coming up for dave's underground goat shenanigans we're gonna get some oleander oregon t-shirts going on and some uncle owens goat farm t-shirts going on and heck i haven't made a t-shirt for articulate warbling in a while or pgttcm or black clock audio tales since the logo change i've got some king and yellow stuff i've been working on you know I've got some Azathoth theories, and you know what? I think there's a place in France where the naked ladies dance. There's a hole in the wall where Sadhagawa sees it all. And then I talked some more. So, yeah, if you have anything that you want to hear on this show, let us know. We'll do it. We'll fix it up. We'll get it going. It's pretty cool. I think I'm going to start offering for the patron program through our podcast provider, Podbean. I'm going to make a bunch of book stuff that I've done in the past that hasn't been published available, including, uh, I don't know about comic book stuff, but definitely coloring book, cookbook, and uh, just art book stuff that I've done in the past, just a bunch of things like that. So, you know, all the stuff that I used to do before I was a podcaster <laughs> and graphic design kind of dried up for me, you know. It, that's how it goes. Some industries, you know, someone releases stuff and then it just kind of makes your job obsolete. Or, you know, someone develops software that everyone uses, and they don't hire graphic designers, and they just have crummy graphic design. Anyway, pgttcm.com.